politics, pop culture, and a whole bunch of other things that start with the letter P. The Mark Harvard Podcast. Who knew that optimism could sound so sarcastic? Hey, 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 welcome into the Mark Harvard Podcast. My name is Mark, and thanks for joining us this week. You know, we we're episode 22. This has somehow managed to make it to, to 22 episodes, and I'm thrilled about that. Don't forget, if you like the show, share it with someone. Share it with a friend, a family. You know, uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and of course, we're on uh, over on uh, over here on uh, on any of the podcasting sections, any of the podcasting sites. So we'd love for you to share the show with your friends. I've actually gotten to talk to a lot of people this week about about the show, and uh, you know, so we, we, we apparently we might have some new people this week. Happy to have you if you're new. Uh, welcome, and uh, if, 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 it doesn't take long to figure the show out. <laughs> It really doesn't because we talk about current events, we talk about pop culture, we talk about uplifting stuff, but we're also not going to just hammer on the negative. We're going to take a look at at what uh, at what uh, basically makes us tick as humans, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of uh, figure out uh, where we go from here on a lot of these issues. So first and foremost, I found this story I wanted to kick off with, and um, you know one of my big favorite. Um, shows over the course of of my life has been The Office. There, you know, when you when you think about those shows that you binge watch, over and over and over again. Uh, Friends is one for me. The Office, uh, Parks and Rec is one. Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine is one that I've started watching over and over again. Uh, How I Met Your Mother is one, uh, except for the last episode because that one is garbage. But um, if you remember in 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 The Office, there was uh, you know there were a lot of horrible behavior examples. In, in that show, but there's one episode, and I believe it's in the, one of the first couple of seasons, where uh, a CPR expert is brought in to the office to teach them CPR training, and, you know, hilarity ensues, you know, there are shenanigans and hijinks, I think Dwight ends up cutting the face off and wearing it as a face mask, yeah, anyway, um, four-year-old Vera Posey was playing a game of tag with her dad, Matt Uber, she suddenly collapsed. Uber quickly realized that he needed to perform CPR to save his daughter's life, but he had no formal training or experience. But he remembered the episode of The Office where the staff had that training. And he said, when I was trying to think about what I I do know about CPR, my mind literally went to that episode of The Office where they were doing CPR training and doing the compressions to the beat of staying alive. He said, that just kicked in. It's what's in my head. And that's Fortunate because he remembered all the details from the episode to properly administer CPR, which he performed until the paramedics arrived. They continued to perform CPR and eventually used a defibrillator to get uh, Vera to respond. His quick thinking kept his daughter alive. And she was taken to the hospital, underwent numerous tests. She had experienced cardiac arrest, they didn't, but no one knew why. And she said, and he said there was never any indication of any issues, let alone serious cardiac issues. And so he said, I don't have any, I don't have any suspicion that we were dealing with with a condition that led to having cardiac arrest. I assumed it was something to do with her hitting her head. So. Test results show that Vera had a, an uncommon and life-threatening condition that causes uh, arthriama. I totally butchered that in young people. <laughs> Vera was outfitted with an implantable uh, defibrillator that rests under the skin to jolt the heart if it does, in fact, stop again. But what saved her life at this point was an old episode of The Office. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I got to say that that's one of the good things that comes out of binge watching TV. Now, you know, if I can only figure out how to stop myself from quoting Chandler Bing whenever the joke arises, that'd be a good thing. That'd be something because I don't I mean, I guess friends would teach me how to clean an apartment. Um, 30, uh, 30 Rock would teach me not to mess with an intern because he might be a time traveler. Yeah, and yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, how much your mother just taught me how, would teach you how to, you know, be a kind of skanky guy in, in New York City. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, that was kind of an interesting little bit of, a of, of, uh, trivia, I guess, that he picked up. And an interesting lesson that just kind of immediately harkened back because there are those things that you immediately associate with those old shows. So, I mean, I mean, whether it's stealing a TV guide, you I mean you go to the episode of, of of Friends with that, and or you know ducks and chicks and stuff like that, you kind of associate those things, those those memories, with these shows that you enjoy. So it's good that this one was actually something that was halfway useful. So, um, last night my wife and I we went out to dinner, and went to uh, an Italian place. Actually, we went to Main Street Bistro in Springville, Alabama. And I had some shrimp and crawfish ravioli. It was fantastic. My wife had the seafood uh, uh, lasagna, which she loved. Jack had uh, a pepperoni pizza. We we loved. And I'm I'm not. They're not paying me to do this. Although we are doing the podcast next month from there. So yeah, tell yeah, that's that's kind of neat. But long story short, uh, we went out to eat, and you know we we ate. We, we took a good while because we were kind of just kind of you know wasting some time, and um. Because Jack is a four-year-old and eats slow as Christmas, so we're waiting there, and the check comes, and I paid the I paid the bill, and I, I came time to to leave a tip. And my big thing is, if I don't feel like doing a ton of math, I'll just you know take you know cl- I'll round up to the next ten and then double the first number, and that gives me roughly twenty percent. I usually maybe if if usually if. If it was just mediocre service, like nothing bad happened, I'll do 20%. Sometimes I'll go higher if it was just somebody that was like really good or someone that we just like really connected with or that was, hey, that guy's back. Yeah, yeah, fill up my water. Yeah. And we joke back and forth. Um, then, yeah, we'll tip a little more. But I came across this story. Gene Mackin actually posted this from, from uh, WMUR Channel 9, ABC, uh, WMUR 9. And it comes out of Londonderry, New Hampshire, uh, New York, New Hampshire restaurant. Got a huge surprise from a customer, and the place is called the Stumble Inn Bar and Grill. And a customer comes in, orders a couple of chili dogs, fried pickle chips, and some drinks. The tab with tax was thirty-seven ninety-three, thirty-seven dollars ninety-three cents. Before he added a sixteen thousand dollar tip. I know, right? At first, the staff didn't notice it. It was on a credit card statement. They put it down next to the register. He said, and he said three times, "Don't spend it all in one place," and that's what made her flip it over and look. And she's like, "Oh my, are you serious?" And he said, "I want you to have it. You guys work hard." The eight bartenders working contacted the owner. They kept thinking it was a mistake that he maybe he wanted to do a one hundred and sixty dollar tip, and he added extra zeros. The bar manager talked to the gentleman, and he said, "No, it's sixteen thousand dollars. No idea why they went sixteen. Fifteen's a round number. Twenty's a round number, but uh, sixteen. It's kind of there might have been something 
meaningful there. Anyway, the Big Tipper wants to stay anonymous, and so far he has. Uh, sister station WMUR was told he is not a regular. He's, he just said that they deserved it. They work hard, and that, that was kind of it. Um, the Stumble Inn actually closed for a few months during the pandemic, and then, then they went to takeout, outdoor dining, and so it's been kind of a struggle for them through the pandemic, and especially for their staff, too, because the restaurant's closed, then the staff isn't making tips and stuff. And so they have to deal with that. And, you know, a lot of it's, it's the same issues that a lot of restaurants here in, you know, in Alabama or anywhere else in the country are are, are facing. Um, so this guy just decided, you know, you guys work hard. You deserve it. So, golly, that that's abnormal. But that sentiment should not be, you know, it's one of those things that we should we should never expect something like that. But we should expect that thought process with other people. This guy saw a problem. He had a means to fix it. And so he did. It wasn't about, uh, that's my money. I don't. I mean, what if I need it later? He was like, these people need it now. I can help out. And off he, off he went. Um, and he didn't want, it wasn't to feel like a big shot. It wasn't to feel, you know, to get accolades. Because he wanted to stay, wanted to stay um, anonymous. And he, and he has. So it just you know disappeared into the night, if you will. Yeah, I, man, I that warms my heart, and I'm so happy to to see things like that. Um, so I came across. I'm gonna, I'm gonna swap subjects here a little bit. Uh, I found this article by by Ian Marmber over at RelevantMagazine.com, and you guys, have you ever guys ever heard of what they call prosperity gospel? That's that whole big thing. I know the uh, Joel Osteen group is is big in this, and it's that whole you know name it and claim it. Um, bad things don't happen if you believe hard enough. That sort of stuff. It's 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 not biblical. It's not scriptural. It's it's not rooted in anything um, having to do with any sort of recognized theology when it comes to Christianity. So. I, this article is about a new pro- kind of prosperity gospel that's that's you know kind of creeping up, um, and it's an interesting thought process because there's that 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 name it and claim it thing where you get you know you get to feel good because you do good things and then, and if you earn it if you earn you know God's reward to us with healthy lives and fortunes to spend. As a result, we become kind of weary of pastors in fancy suits now who own private jets because. You know, we, we, you know, a lot of people saw that and saw how shallow that was. So a lot of people uh, have now moved on to some sort of extraordinary avenue for those types of feelings, that dopamine feeling you get. And this in this article, they talk a little bit about that. They talk about um, how likes and social media acceptance have become the new prosperity gospel because prosperity is now no longer it's it's no longer rated by you know how, you know th- what your bank account says it's no longer rated by you know how many uh, how many cars you have in the driveway now it's rated by how many likes you get on your picture post or how many hearts or shares or comments uh it, it, you know if if you how many followers you have that is that's becoming the new status quo the new measure of success is becoming that and it it, it it was just a fascinating idea because the more i thought about it the more i was like you know what they're right and i'm and i'm no different 
because even though I mean I'm I'm firmly planted in in my faith. I mean, you know, I I I know where I am with with my God and with Jesus. I know where I am, but in in the world, and I mean, and I get that little dopamine boost if I post something. Usually, if it's if it's a picture of my dog or my kid, I usually end up with a you know a couple hundred likes or something on 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 a picture, and it makes me feel good. Now, granted, I don't tend to go out and and chase those likes. You know, I post you know things that totally bomb, and I'm okay with that. But uh, but some people do. They they live their life every day. They almost treat it like a job, or they treat it like a religion. Where they're they're you know, they're out pursuing those likes, pursuing those followers. Follow me over here. Follow me over there. It goes beyond the sort of marketing and becomes just about feeding ego, and that's the new prosperity gospel that 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 they're talking about in this. And um, it's just very interesting the take on that. What uh, Harbor says here, and, and, and Harbor is a communications director for a, an organization called Serve Denton in Denton, Texas. He's a, a master divinity student at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, lives in Denton with his wife and their dog and, and a cat. Um, <laughs> it ends with follow him on Twitter at ianharbor.com. Um, anyway, but yeah, it, it's that whole chasing now um, that's becoming the religion. Does that make sense? Do you follow me? It's 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 more about how we end up um, getting up in the morning not happy to praise God, not happy to be um, living another day. But we get up in the morning and the first thing we do is check our phones to see what that post last night did. Oh, did they get more lights? Any more shares? And I, I gotta say, I'm I'm guilty of it too, and it's something that I'm I'm convicted on. Um, my friend. Uh, uh, a pastor, actually, my pastor, uh, 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 Pastor Vaughn Stafford, he uh, he talks about how the hardest things for him are when he preaches a a sermon that convicts him <laughs> when he's guilty of it, <laughs> and, and that's kind of what I'm hitting right now is because I'm 100% guilty of this myself. So where are you on this? I mean, are you are you putting your faith where it should be? Are you are you putting your happiness, resting your happiness where it should be with with Jesus? Or are you are you resting your happiness with that online validation and that online push? Is that you? I don't know. Just think. Okay, when we get back, I've got some good news coming out of the Jeopardy camp. Uh, a new host that's at least coming in temporarily that I'm pushing to be a full out permanent host. Also, we've got uh, companies that are raising wages and why it's probably just a one-off boost and not something that's that's starting to really push in a, in a new direction. And finally, gun sales surged during the pandemic, but so did rejections from background checks. We'll find out what that's all about as well. That's coming up later on on the show. It's the Mark Harvard Podcast. Stick around. The Mark Harvard Podcast like to thank Old World Lumiere Candle Company for their continued sponsorship of the show. These guys are great, and there's still time to get your dad a candle for Father's Day. That's right, Old World has the traditional candles like vanilla and lavender, but they also have manly scents like leather and bourbon. Not together, apart. These things come in glass containers. They look awesome sitting on a dresser or a desk. Check them out online at owlcandlecompany.com. O-W-L candlecompany.com. Or grab Dad something uh, for Father's Day that'll make his world smell just a little better. Old World Lumiere Candle Company at OwlCandleCompany.com. 
find us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at markharvardcreative.com. The Mark Harvard Podcast. And we are back. It is the Mark Harvard Podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us over on uh, Facebook, over on Instagram, and we're also on YouTube. We've started uh, dropping some video files over on YouTube. Uh, go check all that up and subscribe, won't you? Right now, we've only got a, like a handful of, of subscribers, and I would love to add you to that list because at 100 subscribers, I get a custom URL, and it makes me it makes it easier for other people to find the video channel. So if you'll go do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, that would make things a lot easier for other people and for further just the podcast in general to uh, to grow. Speaking of grow, this Saturday, we're talking June the 26th. I will be doing a live version of the radio show, of, I'm sorry, of the podcast at Hammer and Stain in Birmingham. It's over in the Lee Branch Shopping Center on 280. You go down 280, almost down to the 119 junction, and Hammer and Stain, it, well, actually, it's a little past if you're going maybe toward Childersburg or Sylacauga. Uh, it's right there on your right in, in the in the Lee Branch Shopping Center. There's a movie theater over there. A Publix is over there. But Hammer and Stain is there. If you've never been to a Hammer and Stain, it's a lot of fun because it allows you to show your friends and family something that you made that looks really impressive even if you have no skill at all. They walk you through everything. They coach you through everything. They have everything pre-cut, pre, pre-painted, pre-measured, and you're, you, you assemble it. And you can say, it's just enough where you can say, I did this, but at the same time, it's it's kind of foolproof with it. It's going to look cool. It's, it's, it's like Simpson Strokes, but with lumber. <laughs> if that makes sense, you know, I mean, their big thing right now is they're making custom charcuterie boards, and I've been, I've, and I've actually been told that uh, there's a chance that I might get a Mark Harvard podcast charcuterie board while I'm there on Saturday. Because here's the thing: we're doing the show live on Saturday, starting at one o'clock, and I would love for you guys to be there. Come join us at the Lee Branch Shopping Center, one o'clock on Saturday, June the twenty sixth. And, uh, yeah, come on. And, well, you know, be part of the show, but at the same time, you can also look around and see some of the cool stuff you can make. Signs, you can make charcuterie boards. Uh, you make all kinds of, of uh, cool things to impress your friends, your family. And you can also have a, a party. You can schedule this uh, a party where you all get together and make, uh, you know, a flower arrangement or or make any kinds of, you know, get you know, go to the website and get all the information there. It's Hammer and Stain Beham, B H A M, Hammer and Stain and uh, check out all the stuff you can make, uh, or just come by on Saturday. I would love to see all of you. You know, give you an awkwardly long handshake, if you will. <laughs> Have you seen this? Um, it's a. Uh, it, it, you know, since since Alex Trebek passed away from cancer last year, Jeopardy has been kind of uh, churning out episodes with guest hosts. And throughout this time, there's been one guy that people have been wanting to be a guest host. Now, they've had Ken Jennings, former champion. Uh, Drew Carey has, uh, has you know, had to throw his hat into the ring. Aaron Rodgers. Um, Mayim Bialik has, has, has stepped in. But we're finally getting the guy that so many of us, especially so many of us that grew up with him on multiple shows, LeVar Burton is going to be a guest host of Jeopardy July 23rd through the 30th. And I know I'm hoping he sticks around because we know he has the chops for it. We know he knows how to do it. Uh, I mean, he 
heck, he taught some of us how to read, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, if nothing else, he can fly the Enterprise. So, yeah, people have been clamoring for uh, LeVar Burton to take over for Trebek. And during the final week of July, he's going to have that chance to show the public what he can do. I am excited about this. This is going to be awesome. I haven't watched an episode of Jeopardy in years. I may have to figure out a way to get this now because I, I really feel like this is going to be it. It's going to stick, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> so, you know, if, yeah, and, and, and I know a lot of a lot of Alex Trebek, his passing was kind of overshadowed by COVID, and you know they've been having a hard time finding finding hosts uh, that they've you know they didn't want. No one wants to try to replace Alex Trebek, but at the same time you want somebody who can give that familiarity to it, and uh, it's you know, I, I hope Lavar Burton is there because yeah. <laughs> Speaking of looking for jobs, uh, companies like Amazon and Chipotle and McDonald's, they're raising wages. Um, but at the same time, they're eliminating positions. I mean, gosh, the last McDonald's I went to, um, there was nobody. They, they had one person doing drive through and in-house orders. Everything else they were pushing toward the little kiosks, the little touchscreen kiosks. So they're, they're eliminating workforce at, at McDonald's. Anyway. The Oxford Electronics is saying that it's a one-off boost, though. It's not going to be a standardized, you know, it's not like a new rate of, of uh, wage increases. They say a stronger wage growth seen through spring is likely a one-time jump. The labor shortage gave workers more power because, you know, employers needed people to do things. I mean, restaurants were closing at different times because they couldn't operate with the amount of people they had. Um, the uh, they're saying uh, Oxford Electro, uh, Electronic, uh, I'm sorry, Oxford Economics, rather. I think I, let, I said electronics earlier. Anyway, Oxford Economics is saying that the labor shortage gave workers more power, but the shift is temporary. They say supply chain issues sparked shortages and inflation, which should be shorted, sorted out as the economy reopens. So basically, the factors that put the workers in charge, if you will, gave them all the cards. Those factors are slowly sliding away as we get more and more opened up, but also as we get more and more used to how things are now. Businesses have had times to, uh, to, to rotate, to adjust, to figure out a better way to make things happen uh, and be more efficient with it. So some are just figuring out how to make the same old stuff happen, but with less people. Whether that's bringing in an automated kiosk or bringing in some sort of of uh, of new menu that's a little more streamlined, but allows them to keep up with it with a, sh a smaller work staff. That way, they can afford to pay the people they have more, but at the same time, they need less people. So, what it comes down to it, economics is always going to balance itself out. It's always going to figure out a way to make it happen. The uh, the rich people are always going to they're rich for a reason they've remained rich for a reason they know how to make money work they know how to follow a budget they know how to how to make you know how to you know helm a ship if you will and so because of that they know even if you know even if everything were set completely flat they were always going to rise up because they know how to make a system work for them so when it comes down comes to oh we got to pay work we got to pay workers more i guess the fat cats get paid less no Fat cats are not going to pay, pay paid less. They're going to make their money. They're going to pass that on to the worker. 
or the or, or the or the the, uh, the customer. They're gonna pass those on to the customer, or they're going to just use less workers and make it all even out numerically. See what I'm saying? I mean, as more and more WalMarts and more more and more McDonald's are going to auto, you know self service checkouts, they need less people. Therefore, they can keep their payroll rate the same and pay the people they have left more because they're not paying for all these extra people that they've figured out how not to need. So, yeah, just keep that in mind. A one-off thing. Hmm. Gun sales surged during the pandemic as well. So did rejections from background checks. <laughs> yeah. Check this out. The FBI pro- uh, processed a record 39.7 million firearm background checks in 2020, and checks are trending higher this year. More checks mean more rejections, reaching 300,000 last year. That's nearly twice the level of 2019. Of the rejects, 42% had felony convictions on their records. So what does this mean? Let's boil this down just a little bit. So what it means is, you know, first off, more, more, more applications coming in means more rejections. Just because, you know, numerically a certain percentage are going to get rejection, rejected, that number goes up, the, the, the whole number goes up, therefore the number of the percentage goes up. So there'll be more rejections. 42% of those had felony convictions on their records. That's according to every town for gun safety. So that's, that's wild to me that that many people thought that they could go buy a gun when they've been explicitly told they can't as a felon. But apparently they decided they were going to take a shot. They, they, I guess, pandemic everything starts getting a little wiggy they decide they're going to try to protect themselves one thing also i would like to see the geographic breakdown on this not because i feel like it's a it's an economic thing but i would like to see if it's more of a, a density thing you know i i, I see we, we see things like this happening a lot less in a more rural environment than we do you know like downtown birmingham Downtown Birmingham, you get more all the, enough people crammed together. Somebody, I mean, the chances of one of those extra people being crazy enough to start shooting people is going to be kind of high. <laughs> you know, the more people, the more of a percentage that is. So the number of rejections are part of a record year for gun sales. Uh, 10 million more, actually, than the previous high. 39.7 million uh, background checks. They say there's no question that background checks work. This is from Sarah Bird Starps, who is the Everytown's director of research. But the system is working overtime to prevent a record number of people with dangerous prohibitors from being able to buy firearms. The group said the denial rate was 31% higher in 2020 than in 2019. In addition to sales of firearms themselves, background checks are required for things such as concealed carry permits and suppressors, and therefore not an exact reflection of actual gun sales. 42% of would-be gun buyers had a felony condition on their records, which could be related to a higher number of first-time buyers. Because, as I said before, people get right, got really, really nervous during lockdown. Everyone, I mean, even to this day right now, it's, you're, you're still having a hard time finding ammo. I mean, I have friends that talk about how, you know, they got this this specific gun at the house, but it's useless because they can't even afford to to practice on it you know, go to the rifle range. They can't afford to shoot it because they don't, they don't have an ammo for it. So, yeah, may, um, at least they told the truth, you know. <laughs> when they were filling out their application, at least they told the truth instead of, you know, lying about it. That, that, that in itself is a federal crime. <laughs> 
so yeah, at least they told they they owned up to it. Said, "Yeah, I'm a felon, but uh, can I have a gun anyway?" And they said, "No." Yeah. <laughs> Coming up in just a few, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, about uh, this 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 interesting fact. It's a shocker that has come from a sandwich chain. Also on the way, we're going to talk a little bit about a brand new rubber ducky that is out that uh, all you 80s and 90s kids are really going to be excited about. And finally, a, uh, a New York City restaurant owner said he let waiters have a glass of wine before their shift, and he found that tips went up 5%. All that more coming up. It's the Mark Harvard Podcast. Stick around. The Mark Harvard Podcast. Summer's here, and it is time to update that summer wardrobe with some merch from the Mark Harvard Podcast. Go to markharvardcreative.com right now and click the store link to go get t-shirts, polos, bags, and hats with the Mark Harvard Podcast logo on them. You can also pick up our famous Jesus Soundwave design featuring the audio soundwave of the name Jesus. All that and so much more found at markharvardcreative.com today. It's the Mark Harvard Podcast. There's a lot of people that are going to bang their hands on the desk and be real angry and stuff. What we're going to do is find the ways that God is working in all of this trouble and turmoil. Who knew that optimism could sound so sarcastic? We'll go over history, we'll go over the news of the day, and I'm probably going to make some jokes about 80s cartoons. The Mark Harvard Podcast. You never know what you're going to get, but if you don't listen, you don't get anything. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and online at markharvardcreative.com. It's the Mark Harvard Podcast, I guess. I don't even know anymore. All right, let's do the final segment of the Mark Harvard Podcast. Have you seen this? Uh, A famous New York City restaurant owner said he let waiters have a glass of wine before their shift, and he found that the tips went up by 5%. Hmm, I wonder why. Maybe because they're more fun? Ah! No. <laughs> Balthazar is the name of the of the of the restaurant. He let his staff have a glass of wine before service on Tuesday. He said tips are up five percent uh post rose. And Balthazar, that's kind of a swanky celebrity hot spot. A lot of uh uh celebs end up there. They closed early in the pandemic and they just recently reopened. So Keith McNally who is the uh, restaurateur behind this place, posted on Instagram Wednesday that he tried what he called a one-time-only experiment with his staff, a glass of rosé prior to the start of service. And there's pictures of them all doing this. Um, The result, besides a slightly lubricated and, I guess, more loopy weight staff, is a 5% increase in tips by the end of the night. This place located in the Soho neighborhood of New York. It's it, you know it's a place that people go to have their big power lunches and you know see celebrities and that sort of stuff. So they they closed their doors in March of 2020, and soon after McNally was hospitalized in London for COVID-19. And he told the uh, the media that doctors told him he had a 50-50 chance of dying. So Balthazar didn't reopen again until March of 2021. And uh, they say it's too large an organization to survive with anything less than 50% capacity. So now that New York State has lifted virtually all COVID-19 restrictions, it seems that things are kind of back into full swing there, if you will. So he decided to have this this sort of uh, experiment. And granted, 5% is not a huge percentage when it comes to something like this. So it's nothing they're going to, you know... They're, they're not going to turn around and go, okay, you know what? We're doing this every night. You, bring a flask. 
It's yeah. You know, it's, it's we're not doing that. You know, if if things get slow, yeah. You know what? Go to hard liquor. I'm whiskey. Bring whiskey in here. No. Uh, it, it's something that he did once just to see what was going to happen, and I'm sure it probably did. You know, relax some nerves. You know, uh, made people a little more go with the flow, if you will, which made them more pleasant, which meant tips go up. So, it's. I guess it's good to see restaurants thinking outside the box. Kind of wondering why alcohol was needed for it, but you know what? We'll go with it anyway. It's it's fine. We'll uh, we'll figure it out anyway. So, <laughs> um, do you have one of those old movies in your life that you remember when you were a kid going to go see it? For me, one of those was was Back to the Future. I remember my mother and I were huge Michael J. Fox fans. Uh, he was on Family Ties, one of my favorite shows. And so this movie comes out, and uh, my mom says, you know what, let's go see Back to the Future. Sure, Mom, says, you know, I guess seven, eight-year-old Mark, however old I was. Um, we go to the, the Bama Theater in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, to see this thing. And uh, I don't even know if that, that theater is even still there anymore. When I was in college, it was still there, but it was the run-down carpet was messed up, and it smelled like urine theater. It was not a great place. But, but, but back when I saw Back to the Future, it was great. So the Tubbs Duck Collectibles, you know, they'll get the folks to do like the little uh, characterized rubber duckies. They'll do Batman or Superman or different character base. They've, they've come up with four Back to the Future figures, and I'm thinking I'm going to have to get these, but not let my son play with them in the bathtub. There's one of, of Marty McFly with the, uh, with the, uh, the, the, uh, the vest on, and he's got the VHS camera. There's one of Marty McFly dressed up as Darth Vader. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's Doc Brown with the remote control for the DeLorean, and then there's Doc Brown from the 1950s uh, wearing that big cerebral electrobe hat that he was wearing. Um, they look pretty cool, you know, for duck representations of some of my most beloved movie characters. But, uh, yeah, next thing I think they're going to need a, a, few, a Back to the Future Biff ducky. I feel like that's what's, that's or George. Both of those are needed now. I feel like that's going to be something that we need, needs to come down the pipe here uh, just to complete, you know, the set. <laughs> so, finally, I, I, I came across this. Um... And I gotta say, I'm not shocked. First off, let me say that there are certain foods that I just I'm not interested in. I haven't tried them because I know what the ingredients are, and I don't like a lot of the ingredients. So why would I try this? Uh, tuna salad is one. Tuna fish. I don't like tuna. I, I like other fish. Love other fish. I just don't like tuna, especially in the form that a lot of the world this has decided collectively that it's okay with. Whether it's that shaved stuff mixed with mayonnaise. Oh, it's a tuna sandwich, tuna fish sandwich. No, it's gross. So one of the places that has that tuna fish sandwich thing is Subway. And granted, you know, when you go to Subway, you got to know kind of what you're wanting to actually get. But uh, Subway is actually facing a class action lawsuit that alleges its tuna sandwich doesn't have any actual tuna to it. Shocker, I know. Who knew that the tuna that sits out all day doesn't have tuna in it? So they did the New York Times did DNA testing on Subway's tuna, and it came back a little mixed. But what the New York Times study discovered was surprising. Not only could the researchers not find any tuna in the samples they collected, they weren't able to tell 
what was in the, quote, tuna. So they know it's not tuna, but that's all they know. (laughs) So keep that in mind next time you go to get your tuna sandwich over at the subway, that now they're trying to figure out what the tuna is. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to stick to my, uh, to my, uh, my, my steak, my steak sandwich or my, uh, or my chicken. Those are nice, easy things. It's easy to see that they are, in fact, steak and chicken. And uh, we'll just go with those. <laughs> All right, that does it for us this week. Um, don't forget, if uh, if you've got nothing going on, maybe you've got something that you can just brush off. Saturday, June 26th, I want to see you at 1 o'clock at Hammer and Stain in the Liebrandt Shopping Center on Highway 280 in the Birmingham area. I want to see you at 1 o'clock. You can come be part of the show. Uh, and, you know, we'll do a live taping there. And uh, also, check out all the cool stuff you can make at Hammer and Stain. Also, don't forget, follow us on social media, as including uh, YouTube. Go by, type in Mark Harvard Podcast on YouTube. Watch a few of the videos, and be sure to subscribe to the channel as well. That helps us grow. That helps us continue to reach people with the podcast. In the meantime, I will see you. Uh, I'll see you later. Have a fantastic week. And I'm out. The Mark Harvard Podcast.